Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free, gratis, all yours at techcentral.ie. Now, uh, before we get into our interview this week, Niall Kitson uh, joins me because we have big news um microsoft has released a whole load of new hardware and my first question is do you think microsoft has the same amount of flash and hype and everything around their hardware launches that apple does Ah, oh, come on i mean that's that's a fairly easy question to uh, to answer i mean uh, microsoft are playing catch up but they're playing catch up with some pretty good devices um so you know i'm not going to say this is Apple's nerdy younger brother trying to be cool because mm. I actually think Microsoft are, are doing some interesting things. Um, they're lagging a little behind again in the, in that coolness factor, but so is everybody else. So I think there's actually quite a bit to talk to talk about here. Well, I and, agree. Uh, I agree because I'm really happy with, with with what they brought out. And just in the back of my head, I was kind of going, I don't get excited uh, as excited as I did. Well, and not that I get excited about Apple, but it doesn't seem to be as big a deal. So I just wondering was the same thing for you. But you're right. The gear that they have released, I mean, in my head it's like whoa man this looks really good and it's a well you've been looking for alternatives to what you have um yeah i'm always looking for alternatives to what i have (laughs) that's that's my disease i need a new one of those no you don't i do really um but they have there's a different look there's a different feel there's a different thinking behind microsoft uh, hardware that i really like that actually sets it apart from uh, uh, from apple and they've got the, uh, the the big things you've been looking into to tell us about so we've got the uh, we've got the laptop uh, we've got the surface they've done a <laughs> massive surface for people like me uh, and then we've also got a set of headphones which we'll try and mention briefly but firstly tell do you want to start with the surface pro or do you want to start with the laptop too uh, let's start with the laptop too, because uh, we mentioned Apple and OK, let's draw a few parallels. Apple has a, a very set design philosophy. Microsoft has a very set de- design philosophy, mm. which it's been nurturing ever since the launch of the original line of surfaces. Uh, and I think they've really come a long way. I mean, you, you can look at something now and go, oh, right. OK, that clearly looks like a Microsoft product. Personally, I think they look manky. But I can identify them, which is something no, you wouldn't. Oh, okay. Well, I on the other side will say I think they look well. I think they look as well as the uh, as the Apple stuff. Do you know, every time because you know I use a, a MacBook Air. Every time mm. I look at it now, I'm kind of thinking it looks a bit old. It's because you want a new one. Well, maybe, but uh, like, why get a new one? Because the new one looks just like the old one. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, well, that and I think there are plenty of similarly, uh, similarly built, similarly designed alternatives. Yeah, out there everybody, now. everybody's gone down that kind of little silver MacBooky air kind of a look, which is what I like about the Microsoft because it's different. It's dark and it's black, and the, the the one thing I don't like with the the laptops or with the surfaces is that little carpety feel that they have on the keyboard. Yeah, never a fan of that, but, uh, but mm. we're stuck with it. That's, anyway, that's what they tell consider me more, one of their t- signatures. Tell me more about the laptop, because this looks like a serious piece of kit. 
Well, I mean, this is something that's pitched uh, directly opposite the MacBook and Microsoft have made no no bones about that. So, uh, and they've packed an awful lot of spec into it. So, uh, for example, 1.5 millimeter keyboard travel. So that's when you're tapping away. That's the, diff- the distance and sort of the, the action of the keyboard. That's even thinner than the MacBook. Um, the display is 3.4 million pixels, which they say is, is best in class. And also they claim to have the thinnest LCD on a laptop at the moment. Super interesting. It's got a quad-core 8th generation uh, core CPU, which they say is 85% faster than the original Surface laptop, which is only released, what, two years ago? Um, ships in black, very, very kind of attractive black, but I guess you could say, you know, they're, they're only catching up to every other, mm. um, what would you say, laptop on the market. Um, yeah, so, so some stats on the original, just to compare and contrast. Uh, it's still, the original had a 7th generation um, Core i5, Core i7 processor. So, you know, it, it has jumped a, jumped a generation. Um, and, yeah, all, all that good stuff. But all this premium material comes at a price. And um, you're looking at a starting price of $999 in the States, which once you factor in sales taxes, I guess, is what, $1,100, $1,200? That's still no, not bad. Well, I think it'll work out at €999 Euro because the prices tend to be the same. Um, and then the one thing that I think you have skipped over here um, uh, that they don't do in the MacBook is that they've got the SSD drives. You can have 128 gig or you can have 250 gig. You get that in the MacBook. That's fine. But then they also have a 512 gig and they've got one terabyte as well, which is a lot for SSD. That, that is an awful lot in there, yeah. And uh, normally you would expect that to mm. really bump up the price. Now, but, uh, you're in the market. I'm, you definitely are in the market for a new laptop. I'm kind of like slightly bored with the one I have. Um, would, you, would you be interested? Would you snap at this? Not really. No, <gasps> I don't. I Why? Don't. No, there's just mm. there's not enough there. And in terms of connectivity options, I actually think it is slightly behind. It's got a mini display port USB, but it doesn't have the likes of Thunderbolt or USB three. Mm. So that's a that's a bit of a, a not omission. having USB three. Uh, Thunderbolt is an Apple thing anyway, and it'll go out with, soon enough. Uh, but uh, not having <laughs> USB three is just unforgivable. Uh, yeah, in the current generation of laptops, it, you really got to be but more forward looking. I, 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 I actually think that it does have USB three because I can't, I can't imagine somebody like Microsoft would release something without USB three. So I, I bet it's in there in the in the, in the specs, and you, you might have just not seen it for whatever reason, or you, or you're in denial, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> Whichever, but it's a very nice top end laptop. Uh, I think we're both agreed, even if it is not for you, even if it isn't for me. Okay, yeah. now content creators. Uh, uh, let's get on to um, uh, uh, us people. <laughs> <laughs> us and, people, and, yeah. and tell me about the uh, uh, the surface because there's two new surfaces have been announced. Two new surfaces. Well, let's get the the first one out of the way. The Surface Pro Six. Um, personally, I am a fan of the Surface Pro. Uh, I. I'm recording on a first generation Surface Pro as we speak. Uh, I think from the third generation, Microsoft really upped its game. And they, for my, for my money, they pretty much own the premium tablet space at the moment. And God knows a lot of people have been trying. So uh, the Pro 6 will pack in roughly, uh, it's got a Core i5 processor, 8 gigs of RAM, up to 256 uh, gigs of storage. Uh, now you can go full Core i7 with one terabyte of storage, uh, but you're looking at nearly two thousand eight hundred euro at that. I don't think there's many people would justify that. I mean, that's that's a that's a pretty good laptop price at that stage, and 
the attraction is that they're so uh, they've got so much under the hood in terms of managing um, the heat issue because uh, you might remember in the first few generations of Surface Pro because there was so much spec in there mm. if you were running multiple applications which we were humming along quite nicely it did generate an awful lot of heat so in the third uh, generation they started really addressing this problem uh, by using heat sinks um, and it's worked out pretty well um, so they, they do come up with really good solutions to problems and I think the Pro 6 there might be a bit too much muscle under the hood and that requires an awful lot of lateral thinking mm. Yeah, I think because it's not it's not a tablet and it's not a laptop. Well, it's too good to be a tablet. Exactly, but it's not good enough to be a laptop. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've actually seen HP has a, a something that they're trying to tout as a desktop replacement in tablet form. And I went through the specs and I was like, this is obscene. Like, I mean, I'd quite happily buy a, a desktop or a laptop with these specs on it. But they were looking for over €3,000 for it. Oh, so yeah. people just have got into their head that you can have a premium tablet with enough spec to replace your your mm. laptop. It's not necessarily the same usage model, though, and that, that was one of the mm. problems that I had with the um, Surface as a, as a concept when it came out first, that uh, it's not quite a desktop, it's not quite a tablet in the Apple sense of the word that we've gotten used to with the iPad. But I think the Pro ha- has kind of really found its niche. Um, I'm seeing more and more of them out on the town, for example, uh, in in the Starbuckses of, of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've certainly cottoned on. They, they, they've got their niche um, sorted out. Well, one thing we definitely are not going to see in Starbucks is the, uh, the Surface Studio. Which is a device that I think we both like, but only in the object of desire stakes, I think it's fair to say. Um, no, I think this will be the, the, kind of looking at it, it. It reminds me of an iMac. And uh, one of the things I really like when I'm doing now, <clears throat> sorry, my, my, where I come from is that, like yourself, Niall, uh, we work in media. So we're dealing with uh, uh, images, we're dealing with video, we're dealing with audio, a lot of data intensive kind of stuff. Uh, and you need a fair bit of horsepower behind that. And my theory is very simple. Use a desktop machine for that because number one, it's more powerful. And number two, you need to be somewhere specific to do your work. Mm. And then number three, uh, I always keep those machines clear of office applications, internet, yada, yada, yada. I only use them for media production. And they last me ages and ages and I never have problems with them. All right. Up until Mm. now, Mac has been where it's at. Okay. This machine from Microsoft, I'm looking at it kind of going, whoa, whoa, this I could do some serious damage with, with uh, uh, video editing. I think it would absolutely fly along. That's really interesting that you say that because under the hood, there is a two terabyte SSD. Great. Nice, nice, nifty little storage device. But can can you go back? Can you go back and say that a little slower, please? Because that's an amazing fact. Yeah, it's got a two terabyte SSD. Like, wow. That's huge. That is a lot. That is pretty big. But all the other stuff that's under the hood is actually a generation behind what they're putting into the, the laptop and the Pro. Do you think? I mean, it's an i7 yeah, processor. It's, it's Well, yeah, it's an i7 when everything else has moved uh, up to an 8th gen. Um, mm. This is a 7th gen processor oh, and oh. it uses NVIDIA Pascal graphics, um, which is which is slightly behind the times as well. Mm. So I think w- where they're looking to excel in this is the user experience and 
managing that form factor that the computer itself does it is that small uh underneath the the bezel you know mm. so this is the thing that you know you adjust and you lean on and all that kind of thing it's it, it is a hands-on machine if you will this isn't for media consumption i don't it wouldn't really be great at video editing i don't think this is this is the graphic designers the architects this is that sort of um space uh and for that i still think it's it's a very fine machine I wouldn't use it. I think you'd probably be better served using a, a premium iMac. Uh, although you know, no, price I, 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 I don't. I don't like the iMacs. I, I just have a thing about that all-in-one machine thing, <laughs> which is well, why. Why am I even looking at this uh, Microsoft Studio? Um, but I really like the uh, the MacBook, the, the cylindrical one that looks like a bin. <laughs> well, you know, I still want one of those though. for Christmas. If anybody's listening. <laughs> Yeah, you can you can heat your house off it if you so wish. Save on your uh, save on your radiators. Absolutely, absolutely. So, listen the uh, the other thing that they uh, announced this week was the uh, the Surface headphones. Are you, are you interested in this or? Uh, yeah, well, dear headphones, noise cancelling. Okay, fair enough. But also uh, Cortana integration, which is which is something. Do you think that's, that's the new. big thing with these headphones, Cortana integration? Uh, well, it's it's what they're selling it on. Mm. Um, would I go out and buy a set of he- headphones because of that? Of course not. No. Um, but I think they, they just want to really amp up the fact that, you know, we're building this hardware ecosystem. If you want to buy a Microsoft thing, we've got the whole range. We've, we've mm. got the new pens. We've got the new headphones. We've got a nice tablet, a nice laptop, really interesting 28-inch desktop. Mm. That isn't a desktop um, kind of device. So if you want to, you can you can go off and live in Microsoft land, and that's perfectly fine. Um, here's one thing that they mentioned very briefly that, that deserves a very quick mention. They talked about Windows um, uh, or Microsoft as a service, which is sort of a, a veiled reference to uh, a program I've heard about bubbling under the um, uh, under the surface. They call it Surface All Access, which is basically Surface as a Service. You pay $25 a month and you are given a Surface. Mm. And you pay along, same model as mobile phone, probably. And, you know, a new one comes along. Yeah, I'm going to keep my subscription. Hook me up with a new device and I'll send you the old one back. And, and uh, uh, does that include all the software that you would need or certainly all the Microsoft software? Or is it just for the hardware? Well, one would imagine there'd have to be some sort of migration program in there as well. Or or they just go, hey, for all your Microsoft services, mm. um, you just hang on to Office 365 or things. And anyway, it seems to be the way that, and, I mean, it's, it's an extremely clever business proposition for uh, uh, for companies to do it as a surface because on the surface of it, uh, pardon the pun, it does seem like cheaper. You kind of think, wow, I'm getting that machine there. And it's costing me like $300 a year. Amazing. Dude, you keep that for three years, you know, and it's paid for itself. Yeah, but I'm not going to keep it for three years. I'm going to change it in two years' time. And then, yeah, and then when you want to get your data back, you'll have to download everything from Microsoft servers or whatever it happens to be. Or do you really want to give your laptop back to somebody with your data still on it or whatever? All these problems. The one, the one thing that, and I have this argument with my business partner all the time, is the fact that uh, with accounting software, that you do everything on the cloud and it's fantastic and it's so super simple. But if you want to move, 
<laughs> it's near on impossible to do. But anyway, there we go. Listen, that's uh, uh, enough talking about uh, uh, Microsoft as a service, anything as a service, but uh, definitely the new Surface uh, Pro 6, the studio, the laptop too, and the headphones all look very nice and looking forward to seeing them in the shops again. Our hands on them as it were. For this week, Niall, as always, thanks for keeping us up to date. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. One of the most interesting but overlooked areas of tech is banking. Yeah, I can hear you going, no, but listen to this. It's massively important because when a bank gets behind something, things begin to happen and our world changes. Do you remember in the days of credit cards and the internet, nobody was really safe about using them? And then all of a sudden, online banking came along and it was cool to use a credit cards, changed the world. What is in our future is the question. And we went to talk to Eddie Dillon, who is the Director of Innovation with KBC Bank, uh, to find out more. You had a chat with Niall. Here it is. I guess the best place to start when we talk about any sort of digital transformation is to get a sense of the overall mission, what is the, what is the end point here. So as a bank, what are the general areas KBC are looking for? I mean, we often hear that change really happens at the business level, but I think it's fair to say you're looking more at the customer. Yeah, absolutely. So we redefined our strategy uh, just over a year ago. So we are a digital first customer-centric bank. And what uh, we mean by that is that we will offer customers a distinctive experience insofar as the uh, all of the touch points will be instant, so at the time the customer demands it. They will be accessible, so available 24 hours a day, uh, catering to the needs of the modern consumer, and will be provided on a proactive basis. So that means that um, that the, uh, we, the, uh, the data and the customer preferences will inform the timing that we'll engage and offer service to that customer. Um, but at, at its heart, it is that we will deliver to the raised expectations of consumers. So when you say uh, that uh, customers are informing... Uh, banking strategy that is absolutely the case and and very firmly the case in the strategy that we're looking to execute there's a couple of criticisms that you routinely hear across the board when it comes to the banking sector specifically the um, ease of use of um, portals like you know 365 or banking everywhere um, where people sort of have difficulty navigating through them. What kind of feedback process do you find? I mean, is this a continual iterative process of finding out, okay, this button is a bit too big, or if we color this slightly differently, we'll get a, a better response from this part of the website? Just, is getting feedback and development really that granular? Um, well, there's two points I'd, I'd make in response to that. The first is that the uh, transformation, digital or otherwise, within the banking sector has been very lethargic. Um, and it is now really starting to take place in a meaningful way. And that is because those expectations that consumers have, in fact, they are now demanding um, heightened level of services because they're benchmarking the experiences that they want internationally and cross-sectorally. So that is why there is now a, a sort of marked response of, uh, among incumbent banks um, uh, for fear that they will be disrupted by external players or indeed uh, the likes of ourselves as a, as a challenger bank. The second thing is, is that we recognise that um, uh, one must have intuitive portals, um, be it online or mobile banking services. Um, and um, I will only reference the mobile uh, banking proposition that we relaunched last week. 
um, and ultimately in trying to engineer an intuitive uh, experience for customers we suddenly found that that was very subjective and that even uh, ourselves we were engineering or designing what we felt that consumers wanted based on our own experience so we actually handed the entire mobile platform over to consumers uh, a representative sample of a thousand consumers and uh, complemented by our own staff uh, we gave them a number of options. Uh, we wanted to define a number of principles. Uh, but the most overarching one was that people didn't want to go down a rabbit hole searching for functionality. They wanted it in a very intuitive way. So we had to come up and engineer a design where we could allow people execute the vast majority of their immediate transactional needs or service needs within one touch. And we've managed to achieve that, whereby 85% of functionality, everyday functionality, can be achieved by one touch based on the on mobile home screen. But um, the, the overarching theme is that the consumers must inform it. The response, the, the, the uh, hugely enthusiastic response we've had from consumers has been testament to the process that we went through in allowing them design it. And when you're looking at engaging with consumers... Um, was it a case of assembling focus groups or were you looking at data that was being created uh, on a rolling basis by consumers who had perhaps you know, opted into a, to um, program in exchange for you know, some class of uh, incentive or something like that? Yeah, there's a number of different things. So we've been aggressively listening to customers since we, we, we commenced the, uh, the rollout of a full-service retail bank three years ago. Uh, indeed, we, we, we listen to over 15,000 different customer insights on an annual basis. And that is what you would expect the customer forum, the social media alerts, the specific uh, bespoke customer groupings. But to complement that existing process this time, we, uh, we, in going out to those 1,000 uh, uh, customer bases, uh, we... Uh, obviously, uh, they they were they were encouraged to uh, assist us, but they were very ent- enthusiastic about engaging with us. Uh, we engaged with them digitally and physically, so we had particular focus groups, but we also had a community um, of digital experts and advisors. And then we went externally to benchmark the findings of those to get a broader based um, advocacy of what had been designed. So there was a number of different avenues that we went across to make sure that we had a um, a very clear dominant representative view of consumers one thing that uh, scientists i know find quite intriguing especially in the social sciences where things are where replicability of results is is really difficult is that there's in collecting the objective data that sort of disparity between what you want people to or what people say they want to do versus what people are actually doing did you find much of a a disparity or or were the messages actually pretty close together um well i've i've I'll make uh, no apology for for saying that the design and the uh, UX that I felt would resonate most with consumers is not the one that we've launched last week. In that, I had a view of what they uh, I thought that they would like, whereas actually nearly seventy percent of the uh, customer base we tested with came back with uh, the design that we launched last week. So. Um, uh, what I will say is that uh, one thing that it proves is that the internal conventional banking perspective is not, it does not necessarily resonate always with the consumers. So thankfully that validated the process that we adopted. 
But to the other side, we found that um, when we went out with with a particular process, design and experience, 70% of the consumers were very firmly at, uh, uh, going down one particular route. Or a route. So, um, if you, you know, the repeatability of that is, is certainly um, affirmed by the vast majority of those coming back down to one singular design. When you're looking internally at formulating a project like this, where... You, where at the end you want to say okay we'll ultimately retain customers or we'll have a a better digital offering at the end of it Um, an awful lot of design thinking involves uh, dealing with a certain element of unpredictability that you roughly know the kind of results you want to get but the process is ever evolving when you were selling this concept internally did you find a very conservative mindset at management level or was it very much a a broad-minded okay, there's this digital stuff out there, how do you make the most of it? Um, well, firstly, what, what we're trying to achieve, I mean, this has all been developed by the, the innovation hub uh, that we sit in today. Um, and this is part of uh, a far wider group initiative. So KBC have invested $1.5 billion in digital transformation, not just as um, a channel, not just as a project. We are a digital-first bank in Ireland. We are the front-runner of the group. We're developing digital capability here and exporting it to other parts of the KBC group. So we're developing and testing it here in Dublin for wider international deployment. So it is not, um, if you like, we are not trying to migrate customers from one way of banking or from one channel into a digital um, sphere. We're not trying to just simply take our product proposition and put it onto online or mobile channels. Uh, Our digital uh, existence, our digital first existence, is our very existence. So that um, if a customer wants to uh, walk into one of our 16 hubs, call us uh, 24 hours a day, or engage with us exclusively on their mobile, they will get the same digital um, first experience irrespective of what channel they choose. So um, the vast majority of our effort is redesigning and transforming processes rather than the actual device that sits at the channel end of it. So um, it's, it is at, at the very be- beating heart of what we're trying to execute as a strategy rather than just one particular project. When you're talking about going digital first as a bank, I mean, a couple of years ago that meant having a really usable portal on a, on a PC. Now that sort of, that's moved to mobile. Where does mobile sit within your own sort of vision of what banking should be? Um, well, I mean, uh, I'd, just to, to um, uh, explain maybe my interpretation of digital first, because I don't believe digital first represents a, a device per se. It actually represents how you fulfill uh, a customer's request on, a, on, a, on, a, on an instant basis and on 24 hours a, ba- a day. And very much, uh, very often, that, or the, in the majority of cases, that extends to the digital device that they're using. Um, we very firmly believe that uh, and the demographics and the behaviours of consumers in Ireland are such that the mobile is the most dominant way in which people want to carry out their day-to-day transactional banking needs in terms of product propositions but also in terms of the way in which they service the account and the way in which they, they actually uh, get information and intuitive advice about their financial affairs. To that end, the mobile lends itself most dominantly as the, as the, as the, as the greatest channel to be able to fulfil that means um, and we can see that in terms of the high um, usage among our existing customer base and how often they use their mobile. 
Um, so uh, in developing capability, we very much um, uh, bring it to, uh, to mobile first, and then we replicate it across all other channels. Um, but mobile, I do believe, to be the dominant form of, of, of um, uh, servicing one's banking affairs in this market. There's a couple of things I'm finding interesting about how mobile is used at the moment because it's not just about making websites smaller and and appifying them, if you will. Um, I'm seeing more and more of the technologies within people's smartphones being appropriated by banks, by other organisations. I'm thinking mainly... uh, by cameras, which is which is one of the main things people mm. actually use their phones for these days. Um, how are you embracing other technologies within the smartphone? Well, uh, let me reference the process, the uh, the turgid process of opening an account. So, uh, um, KBC are on a mission to um, almost double our customer numbers over the next three years. And in order to achieve that aim, we needed to remove all friction from the account opening process. So um, the simple process of opening an account by taking a photograph of your driver's license and taking a selfie was key. So, uh, And it was something, technology that was very uh, ready to be deployed on mobile, given the uh, high resolution of camera imagery on the, on the, uh, that are available now. Using that uh, the mobile capability, we were able to use facial um, uh, facial biometrics to match uh, the identity or the photograph on the driver's license with the image taken on the selfie. We were able to authenticate the uh, the driver's license um, by analysing the code and the various data that's contained within it. Within it, and we were able to translate the uh, the data on the driving license to pre-populate an application form. So we're able to use the embedded technology in a mobile phone to. Drive dramatically re-engineer the process of opening an account. Um, Furthermore, uh, we um, are able to provide debit cards, credit cards instantly onto the mobile device Um, and with the proliferation of digital wallets we are now able to make sure that there is zero friction between uh, opening an account and being able to make payments from the account. The conventional banker would uh, say, of, of, which I, I was once, um, but uh, would believe it to be uh, acceptable to make a consumer wait for three to five days before they can start using an account and would celebrate the fact that the account is opening. Nowadays, a modern consumer wants to actually bank immediately, which means make transactions and payments instantly. Um, so uh, using the technology that's embedded within a mobile phone is one means to do that. When talking about fintech now, I mean, there's a a couple of beats that you really have to trip, and one of them is blockchain. Um, The more conversations I sit in with people that are excited about it, the more I realize that it's very much a case of we really like the technology, we just don't know how to use it yet. As somebody working in financial services, do do you feel that that's still very much the climate? Um, well, there's two things. One, uh, uh, when when we talk about innovation and transformation in financial services, there's there's a twin track. One is uh, delivering capability, which delivers to the consumer and to their raised expectations immediately. And the second thing is to make sure that there's a, a sufficient focus on experimental initiatives, so that you can harness the power of of, of new technologies and new means of fulfilment. Blockchain is one such endeavour. AI data are, are and and the and harnessing the true power of data are other strands um, there are uh, there is a certain uh, i would i would agree that there has uh, in the case of blockchain 
consumers have very uh, have had uh, have seen very little of the true tangible benefits of that. Has it transformed the way in which they carry out day to day their day to day affairs? Not uh, not least in banking. No, they haven't. But that's not to say that that adoption or those uh, those elements won't come to fruition um, soon. Um, but. Um, there are various exciting initiatives under underway. Are uh, the experiments are underway, um, but they have not yet translated to a customer's day-to-day uh, affairs. You mentioned there about unlocking the true power of data. Uh, it's it's something that we hear an awful lot. It, uh, in an age where people are becoming more and more literate about the sort of data that is being collected on, on them and how how it is being used, what does that phrase actually mean to you? Um, well, firstly, the consumer now uh, is appropriately in control of their data. They're in control of who is processing it, who is using it, and the, they will inform the permissions um, and uh, who is allowed to uh, interpret and translate those, data, uh, those elements of data. But when I say harnessing the power of it, that is the consumer um, giving a trusted party the ability to offer real personalised insights, services and propositions to them based on their own patterns. So um, um, it, it, it's a simply a case of it, once the consumers can trust the counterparties appropriately um, and once they uh, allow for that level of adoption, they will get an, and, um, uh, far enriched customer experiences. That's the exciting part. But at the moment, um, following uh, a post-GDPR, there's a retrenchment, obviously, in the, in the, in the, in the usage of data. And then co- consumers now in control will slowly um, evolve and allow others to adopt and use the data to their own benefit. So just to wrap things up, which areas um, of fintech are really exciting you at the moment? What kind of projects are you seeing on the horizon and going, yeah, this is, this is definitely going to resonate with consumers. This is definitely going to become part of the, the average experience. Um, well, maybe just a, a quick word on fintech, which I believe is, is, is important in that very often uh, uh, there's the argument as to whether uh, banks are embracing uh, partnering with uh, fintech or, or actually seeking to develop alternative solutions in-house uh, to the detriment of fintech. Um, we in KBC in, in, in Ireland very firmly partner with fintechs because we believe they play such a critical role in coming with solutions uh, that can be consolidated within an end-to-end customer journey. So when, if you look at our account opening process, we uh, partnered with uh, three different fintech companies to bring a complete customer solution to market. When you look at our consumer finance, we did similarly, uh, and indeed with our mobile proposition currently, um, our card processor played a critical role in facilitating digital debit and credit cards. So... Uh, we are looking at a number of exciting fintech partners to further expand our, our, our product proposition. PSD2 is an open banking initiative allows us the not only the capability and the bandwidth, but also the infrastructure to be able to extend that to a far uh, to a, uh, in, in a wider context. So, without being specific. Uh, uh, the discussions that we're currently having with fintech partners uh, are exciting and consumers will see the real benefit of that. 
And that was Nile Kids and Chatting with Eddie Dillon, who's the Director of Innovation with KBC Bank. That's it for our show this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. Or, of course, you can listen to our little programme uh, every week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next week, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Nile Kitson, thank you so much, as always, for listening, and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.